As Pilate was presiding over the tribunal, his wife sent him an urgent message. Do not harm that holy man, for I suffered a horrible nightmare last night about him. Meanwhile, the, the chief priests and religious leaders were inciting the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be freed and to have Jesus killed. So Pilate asked them again, which of these two men would you like me to release for you? And they shouted, Barabbas! Then Pilate asked them, well, what would you have me do with Jesus, who is called the Anointed One? And they all shouted, crucify him! Why? Pilate asked, what has this man done wrong? But they just, they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him! Pilate realized that a riot was about to break out and that it was useless to try to reason with the crowd. He sent for a basin of water. And after washing his hands in front of the people, he said, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. The responsibility for his death is now yours. And the crowd replied, let his blood be on us and our children. So he released Barabbas to the people and he ordered that Jesus be beaten with a whip made of leather straps embedded with metal and afterwards be crucified.
Son of God, come down. Here's a stage, here's a scene. Give us something to believe. He was despised and rejected. He a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He, he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And, and we thought that his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was, he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on himself the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But why? You know, why did it have to be like this, so brutal and violent. Why? I know we know the story, we know the imagery, we, we know the characters, and we probably know the outcome. You know, we sit in a moment like this and we're confronted with this truth. Jesus had to die. It had to happen. And it had to happen just like this. Mocked, betrayed, tortured, hanging. But to truly understand why, we've got to go back to the very beginning, all the way back to the start of humanity. See, God spends time crafting every little detail of the cosmos, the stars, the galaxies, moons, and planets. And he even takes time to craft this planet we call home. He gave it water, he gave it land, he formed animals and flowers. And then God gathered piles of, of earth and formed it into man, and he took his very own breath and breathed life into man, the first man. Adam and then God took a part of Adam and fashioned the first woman Eve and there was perfection harmony between earth and sky and complete connection between creator and creation God takes these two brand new people and places them in a perfect garden filled with everything that they could ever want or need 
And Adam and Eve were perfect. They were surrounded by perfection and connected to perfection. There was only one small detail. There was this one tree in the garden, one no in a world full of yes. One tree was off limits. One piece of fruit was forbidden. Because love doesn't control, love allows choice. And for a while that was fine. Until a serpent whispered to Eve one question that would put into jeopardy this connection between creator and creation. Maybe God is hiding something from you. Maybe this one thing that you can't have is the one thing you desperately need. Maybe you can be like God. So, Eve, the choice is yours.
forbidden fruit and they stand there sinful, naked, ashamed, afraid. And they turn around and they run away from the God who they used to walk with in relationship because that's what sin does. Sin breaks relationships. Sin causes distance between creation and creator. And God watches them as they try to hastily weave together branches and leaves to cover themselves. But what Adam and Eve don't understand that day is that the only thing that can cover sin is blood. Leaves may be able to cover a naked body, but they can't fix a dead soul. Because God is holy and perfect and righteous and sinless. Sin can't exist in his presence. So sin must be paid for. Sin must be punished. Sin must be bled for. Because life is in the blood, sin causes life to be taken. Sin requires death. Guys, this is the moment we're gonna find out who God is. Come on, we're only two and a half chapters into the Bible at this point. We just don't even know who this God is yet. Is God going to punish Adam and Eve for their rebellion? Is he going to wipe them out and start over again? Is he going to cause their blood to be spilt to pay for their sin? but in a garden that had never known death. Instead of spilling Adam and Eve's blood, God takes an innocent animal and he kills it. And he covers Adam and Eve with its skin because blood covers sin. And it's here that we find out that God's love for humanity is so great that he's actually willing to kill something that's innocent to cover over something that's guilty, us. But the spiral of sin has already begun. 
And what we discover very quickly is that the farther away that humanity gets from the garden, the worse things become. Murder and rape and wars and famine. But the good news is God always had a plan. And we see the foreshadowing of that plan back there in the garden that blood alone can cover sin. And we fast forward ahead to Genesis 22 and we see God calling out to Abraham, the one who God made a covenant with to make the father of many nations. And he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. And it sounds horrific, but it was only a test. God had no intention of allowing Abraham to follow through with it because as the knife is lifted to sacrifice Isaac, God stays his hand and Abraham lifts his head and he sees a ram with its head caught in a thicket. And instead of Isaac dying, the ram dies in his place. And it's here at this place that Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh, which means this is the God who sees the needs of his people and provides for those needs. And when God, listen, when God sees Isaac at the point of death, listen, he provides a lamb with its head caught in thorns to die in Isaac's place, why? because blood covers sin. You fast forward again to Exodus 12 and we see that God is about to punish the Egyptian people for enslaving his Hebrew people for 400 years. And so God sends the angel of death in. And God's instructions to his people were to take an innocent lamb without defect to kill that lamb and to take the blood and to smear it on the doorpost of their home so that when death saw the blood of a lamb, it would pass over their homes. Why? Because blood covers sin. And then the temple sacrificial system is instituted and more often than not, it was spotless lambs who were sacrificed. Why? Because blood covers sin. And it was in this system that they tried to maintain some sort of semblance of relationship with God, but more often than not, relationship was replaced with ritual. And so finally, the time had come for Jehovah Jireh to provide for the needs of his people. And when God saw that, uh, that we were not able to reach up high enough to reach him, he reached down to us and Jesus came to us. God put on skin and bones and he walked with his people once again. And when Jesus begins his ministry, immediately signs and wonders begin following him. But Jesus' ultimate purpose here on earth was not to do signs and wonders. It wasn't to conquer Rome. It wasn't to feed the hungry. Jesus' ultimate purpose here on earth was to fulfill the plan of Jehovah Jireh, who saw that the ultimate need of his people was for their sin debt to be paid so they could come back into relationship with creation and creator. So Jesus comes. But the only thing that can cover sin is blood. 
And when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, he cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here's Jesus, completely sinless, completely spotless, without blemish, without defect. Could it be, could it be that the lamb with its head caught in thorns who took Isaac's place, could it be that the lambs who were slain and their blood caused death to pass over God's people, could it be that all those lambs who died in the sacrificial system were pointing ahead to this lamb, the sinless, spotless lamb of God? But surely, Come on, surely God would not love the world that much to give his only son? Nah, God, the, the price is too high. We're not worth it. We're too broken. We're too sinful. We're too dirty. God, don't do it. But just a few hours before Jesus' arrest and his trial, he kneels down to pray in a garden called Gethsemane, full of ancient olive trees. And his friends, they can't keep up, they fall asleep. As Jesus begins to consider the sacrifice that's about to be made. But here we are again in another garden. The last time we were in a garden, Humanity turned their backs on God, shook their fist at him and said, God, not your will, my will be done. Could it be that in this garden, a different decision would be made? And knowing what's about to happen, knowing that the crushing weight of the sins of the world is about to come down upon his shoulders, Jesus kneels down to pray and he lifts his head to his Father in heaven. And he asks, Father, is there another way? it would be sitting here alone feeling what's to come my body hurts already I feel crushed by the weight of it father I, I wish there was another way another way to rescue this world I love them, all of them, and I would, in a heartbeat, give my life for theirs. But what, what if this body can't handle the stress? What, what if I become too weak to carry this burden? Father, I have seen people break the instant they were hung on the cross. The cross, 
the brutality of it is burned into my mind. Is there another way? Have we tried everything? Are you sure? Are you completely sure this is going to work? Will they accept my sacrifice? Father, the ones closest to me don't know what's going on. They are asleep. And what of this new movement? Everyone will join when the going is good, but what about when it starts to fall apart? Will they stick around then? This is your will, Father. I, I know this is why you sent me. My body broken for them, all of them. My blood poured out as one last sacrifice so we can restore them and wash them clean whenever they ask for it. Father, help them to understand that I chose to die. That I have to die in order for them to live. Help them to understand that we chose this. We choose this in order to restore that perfect connection between creator and creation. That they would be with you the way that I am. And Father, whether they admit it or not, whether they know it or not, their spirit longs for that connection. And for me, will you give me the strength I need to endure the suffering that is ahead of me? Can you help me to pour out all of the love for your people? Every last drop. This decision, this choice that you've given me, I choose you, Father. I choose your will and not mine. It's, it's not my will. I choose to offer my life a sacrifice for your people. The only thing that can cover sin is blood. And Jesus is already bleeding. The wicked, detestable, perverse sins of the world are already beginning to weigh on his shoulders and the stress is so great that he actually begins literally sweating 
drops of blood course down his face onto his clothing. And he rises from prayer and he goes to rouse his friends from their slumber, but as they lift their heads, they can see torches snaking along the hillside in the midnight hour. It's a group of Roman soldiers led by Jesus' friend, Judas. And Jesus is arrested and dragged off and led to a mock trial where it's there, the savior of the world, where it's there that God in the flesh is convicted of blasphemy and labeled a political threat to Rome because Jesus is messing with the status quo. We can't, we can't, come on, we can't have people messing with the system, Jesus. He's mocked and he's beaten, he's spit on. They tear out his beard with their bare hands. In a mocking gesture, they take a dirty cloth and they wrap it around his shoulders as a king's robe. They take thorns and they weave them together and then they press them down upon his brow. And the Romans had decided that 40 lashes was enough to kill somebody. So in mercy, they only gave Jesus 39 until you could see his bones. And the same crowd that had just welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem just a few days before on Palm Sunday, screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means rescuer, savior. This same crowd is now screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him? What has he done? What has he done? And just to drive the point home in case we missed it, this is not some mysterious group of people who lived thousands of years ago. No, man, this crowd is me. This crowd is you. This crowd is us. All of us. Jesus came to offer life, but instead we sentenced him to death because Jesus messes with the status quo. Jesus rocks the boat. When God comes to town, things have to change, but we like things like they are. We wanna eat the, tr the fruit from the tree and then go our own way. And so we join with everybody else screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. Get rid of the one who makes us feel guilty. Get rid of the one who calls us to change. And there was even like in that moment, there was this, this, this chance for clarity because there was this murderer named Barabbas who was about to be executed. And, and the offer is made, the question is asked, who should we release? Should we release, Bar should we release Barabbas? Or we do, re do we release Jesus? Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And at the last moment, just like Isaac's freedom, because of the lamb that had its head in the thorns, Barabbas goes free and the lamb of God stands in his place to be crucified. 
And we have a really bad tendency to try and romanticize the cross. Right, like you see this in paintings, you see it in TV shows, you see it in, in movies where there's this really good looking Jesus, a little bloodied up on this big majestic hill on this 10 foot tall cross with this really nice sunset behind him. And I don't know why we do that. I, I think maybe we think that if at least the scenery was nice, that it would be a nice place for God to die. But there was nothing picturesque about a Roman crucifixion. See, the scriptures don't say that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. They say that Jesus was crucified at Golgotha. Roman crucifixion was intended to inflict the maximum amount of pain and the maximum amount of humiliation. And so more often than not, crucifixion was literally just a beam of wood nailed to a tree on the side of the main road on the way into Jerusalem. Nobody's climbing a hill to come and visit you as you die. No, the Romans put the cross on the side of the road so that everybody has to pass by. Families taking their kids to the market can stand there and stare at you and mock you as you die because you're their reminder to stay in line. Don't rock the boat. Don't get out of line. And the cross wasn't lifted up. What the Romans actually tried to do was to get the cross as close to eye level as possible so that you had to look your mockers in the eye you died right in front of him. And there was no little piece of cloth covering your most private areas. Nah, you hung nude for the whole world to see. And the nails aren't what killed you. On the cross, you suffocated to death. The nails were simply there to make sure that you couldn't get away. On the cross, slowly. And sometimes it took days to die. So here's Jesus. God in the flesh, the savior of the world, abandoned by his friends, mocked by his enemies, yelling out, look at him, look at him, spit on, beaten, abused, naked, bloody, eye level, dying with common criminals on the side of the road as parents take their kids to go get groceries. Nobody even cares that he's dying, naked, suffocating, alone. What do you do with that? Like, what do, you, what do you do with that? But when we understand the why of this moment, we can actually see God in it. When we understand the why behind the brutality of the cross, we can actually see the beauty in it. The beauty? Yes, the beauty. 
that this was actually all part of God's plan. God's amazing, majestic plan to restore creation back to creator. That God stood in front of the first Adam to make the first sacrifice in that garden. And now he stands in front of us all to become the final sacrifice. But how is that beautiful? Because the only thing that can cover sin is blood. And Jesus bled for me. He bled for you. He bled for us. All of us. He stood in our place. And even when we were still his enemies, Jesus died for us. He says so himself, my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. And so what we have to understand, listen guys, this weekend, out of all the weekends, we have to understand that the cross was not injustice towards a victim. The cross was the passion of a God who loved his people so much and he was tired of distance so greatly that he put on skin and bones and bled so he could walk with humanity again. No more distance. He walked with us. He talked with us. He spoke with us and he climbed up on the cross to become the final sacrifice for us. He was rejected so we could be accepted. He was despised so we could be adored. He suffered so we could be healed. He was pierced so we could be whole. He was crushed so we could be restored. He was humiliated so we could be honored. He was punished so we could know peace. He was oppressed so we could be free. He was found guilty so we could be found innocent. And he died so that we could live, so that we could live forevermore. And while every other sacrifice had simply covered over sin, Jesus's blood abolished sin, destroyed sin, executed sin, and separated our sin as far from us as the East is from the West. Good news, because of Jesus, our sin is not covered over. Our sin is gone. It's gone. And when we accept that sacrifice that he made by faith, when we accept that Jesus Christ went to the cross, stood in our place, took the cross that was due us, we can look back even on this moment and we can see the beauty of it. We can lift our head up to heaven and as we look at him, we can celebrate all he has done.
On the cross, Jesus proclaims to all those who are looking at him, he says, it is finished. And the sacrifice, the final sacrifice is paid. Jesus dies. They take him off the cross and they bury him in a tomb in a garden that Good Friday. But spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, <laughs> it's not the end of the story because of Sunday. Come on, somebody say praise God for Sunday. Praise God for Sunday. On Sunday, God rolls the stone away from the tomb and breath enters back into Jesus's lungs and he rises victorious and he conquers sin, death, hell, the grave, our past, our present, our future, our brokenness, our good days, our bad days. He conquers them all. And in a grave set in a garden, he takes everything that's broken and he heals it and he makes it straight. And through this final sacrifice, he connected creation back to creator. What we once had, what God had been wanting for us, what we were inwardly groaning for for so long. This intimate, personal connection with God, it's restored. So guys, good news. We don't need ritual anymore. We don't need any more sacrifices. All we need is Jesus. That's it. That's it. And this story is our story. In the Garden of Eden, we all died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chose to die so we could live. And in the garden where he was buried, Jesus left the grave behind so we could leave our grave behind too, to live forever and to walk in newness of life. And Jesus says this in John 12, 32. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus says when he's lifted up on the cross, when he's lifted up and ascended and resurrected and sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, when he's lifted up in worship, when he's lifted up in preaching, when he's lifted up in prayer, when he's lifted up in the proclamation that he will draw us to himself. Because there's something about looking at Jesus that changes you. Come on, think about it. When, when, when you're walking along the road and somebody comes up and asks you for money, you try not to look at them, right? 
Because you know, if I look at them, I'm gonna have to make a decision. And you kind of have this inner conversation, right? Like, if I don't look, I can just kind of keep on going on with my life as usual. But if I look, I have to do something with what I've seen. And so family, today, you have looked and you have seen Jesus. And you have to do something with what you've seen. And so there's a decision that we're gonna have to make right now. Do I just kind of pretend, no, 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 mm -mm. I'm gonna pretend like I didn't see anything. I'm just gonna kind of continue on with my life as usual. Or am I going to admit that I'm being drawn to Jesus? So here's the question. Is Jesus drawing you today? See guys, we don't often find ourselves in God moments. Really, not very often. But if you can actually say God is drawing me today, listen, listen, listen. This is not lights and drama, it's not dance, it's not music, it's not speaking. If you're being drawn today, this is an absolutely hands down supernatural moment in your life. Do not cover up your eye and walk away. So let's do this, let's take a moment, let's bow our heads and let's pray for a second. If you believe this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died in our place on our cross as our sin payment and that he rose again, you will live forever and you can know God today. Listen, you may have walked in here one way, you may have clicked online one way, but you can leave a different way. You don't have to leave afraid of God today. And if today you can say, I believe that, and I'm being drawn to Jesus, and I need to say yes that I'm being drawn to Jesus, then what I'm gonna ask you to do, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. So that's me today. God's drawing me today, that's awesome. It's a lot of hands, guys. If you're online, just lift your hand up. Say, that's me. God's drawing me today to Jesus Christ. And here's what I wanna do. Family around, you guys who call in the name of Jesus, let's, let's fill this room with our hands raised. If you call in the name of Jesus, period, today, let's lift up our hands. Say, Jesus, we choose you today. We thank you for the price that was paid for our freedom today, that we can know God today. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, okay? Let's, we can put our hands back down. And here's what's about to happen. That as we pray this prayer, there's gonna be a radical change, a radical alteration in our lives. You're about to go from darkness to light, from death to life, from lost to found, from an orphan to a child of God. <laughs> so let's pray like this. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You bled and died on the cross not to cover my sins, but to erase them. And you rose again so I could be free from everything that has held me in chains. So today, I repent. I turn from my sins and my way of life, and I turn to go in your way of life. I cling to you in faith. Jesus Christ is my King, and my savior. And because of that, 
I am forgiven. I am free. I am new. I am clean. I am born again. I'm a new creation. I will live forever. And I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate everybody who just said yes to Jesus today. We celebrate with you. Hey, actually, in just a minute, if you just said yes to Jesus, we're gonna give you a next step. It's so important to go beyond a prayer, to keep going. And so we're gonna give you a next step. But before we do that, we're gonna worship God together. So let's do this. In this space, all of our spaces around the campus, let's stand up to our feet. Online, if you're able, why don't you stand up to your feet? And we're gonna worship the one who takes what the enemy meant for evil and he works it for our good. We're gonna take the one who gives us beauty for ashes. We're gonna worship him. The one who turns our life around and even the one who can take our grave and turn it into a garden. Let's worship him together. No, I- 